Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a special one. It will give us a flavor of uh, starting up and scaling up in Europe and, and the same in Latin America. So I'm really looking forward to, to this episode. And our guest today is Gonzalo, uh, the co-founder and CEO of Camino. Gonzalo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Good morning. <laughs> a pleasure to, to have you on. You are based this time in, in Sao Paulo, right? In, Correct. In Brazil, uh, but exactly. you are originally uh, Spanish. So, but for the ones who didn't have yet the chance to, to get to meet you, uh, who is Gonzalo? So, so Gonzalo is, is actually is a Spaniard, uh, 43 years old. Uh, born and raised uh, in Madrid, educated in, in Madrid, spent some time of my education also in the United States, married to a Brazilian entrepreneur too, has two kids, uh, and all living awesome. here in Sao Paulo since the beginning of the pandemic. Awesome. So a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, so you need to be careful with the art of, of the, exactly. and the finances. Of and the and the you need to be very, very careful with your finances. <laughs> so you, you have an, an amazing career uh, as I was when I was introducing you. Uh, you've been involved. Uh, your background is in, in, in legal or in law. Then you went to uh, help to, to start up and scale up uh, Groupon. Uh, you have different roles as CEO, uh, CCO, uh, and you have also co-founded several companies, also as a CEO and even CMO, and now uh, as the CEO of, uh, of Camino. Can you tell us a little bit of your journey? Because it's, it, it's, it's a long one in tech and, and a very interesting one. Yeah. Uh I like to think about it as like my my personal journey is my best entrepreneurial experience, no? Because I, mm -hmm. I didn't follow like a traditional path to be an entrepreneur. Uh, most of the best entrepreneurs or successful entrepreneurs follow a path like, okay, I studied business or engineering. Then I went to investment banking or consulting or to a large corporate where I right. solved very big problems and uh, I had a lot of resources. I found out or I just ran into a very big issue, had all the tools that I needed. I was well prepared and I decided to, to, to create or launch a startup, focus on that problem, had very good access to funding, et cetera. So that's like the typical journey. In my case, it's nothing compared to that. No? I was born and raised in a family of lawyers. Uh, my parents uh, focus a lot on education, it's true, but a lot of uh, focus on uh, on let's say law, history, etc. Nothing connected to business. So until mm -hmm. I uh, finished university, I had very little connection to business. Mm -hmm. So I started as a lawyer at a great invest, uh, at a great uh, uh, legal uh, firm, which was Clifford Chance. That is sort of like the BCG or McKinsey of the mm -hmm. law firms. So I had a great contact to large uh, operations. Uh, large clients like J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, et cetera, because I, I was working in the financial services department, but right. had no impact, no connection actually to the business. And, and, and that was what I actually uh, envy, no? So after two right. years in, in the law firm, I decided just to quit, which was really, really scary because at the end, uh, and one advice that sometimes I, I give to younger people, it's at least 
get something out of that experience that is not so awesome, like being at a McKinsey or a great law firm, et cetera, because you get mm -hmm. some tools, no? Maybe I quit it too early and I started a, a business on my own, no tech business. And uh, it was really, really hard for me. So it has been a really, really intense entrepreneurial journey up until now. That, that, that's amazing. Uh, really, uh, there is not a playbook to be a, an entrepreneur. Uh, and I, I would say that the, the most mature ecosystems also are, are showing that kind of pattern, right? So that entrepreneurs can come from, from anywhere, maybe it, just just a thought that came out from your uh, from your own uh, trajectory. Yeah, no. Reality is that uh, here at Camino and, and previously at OnTrack, we were uh, very focused on bringing people that would follow or fit into certain patterns. Uh, reality that as the startup ecosystem has exploded, you see people mm -hmm. coming from different backgrounds that actually can do even better than those profiles. Because at the end, if you follow certain pattern, you're always going to get good results, but nothing different to the rest of the people that are actually following the same path. If you actually okay. bet on different talent, you will get different results. And that's what we are seeing now, which is betting on people that are not actually coming from the traditional path of consulting or investment banking. Exactly. And uh, yeah, so you, you, you had this previous experience in, in Brazil. So you, you have been in, uh, working in Brazil even before you came back to, to Europe. Can you just tell a little yeah. bit more of, of that story? Uh, yeah. and how you got so, involved more with, of course, given that your wife is Brazilian, but not sure if this was a consequence or the reason <laughs> or the cause. <laughs> exactly. When I say, no, I married to a Brazilian, they, they immediately connect that to the fact that I'm living in Brazil. Reality is that I have like, let's say, more than 20 years of working experience. My first 10 years were in Spain, focused on investment business, okay? Uh, mm -hmm. But that tenure, no, that experience ended up uh, when the subprime crisis. So I decided to do an MBA. And that's, that's more connected, let's say, to the traditional uh, startup path. And I studied uh, the MBA at ESA, which is a traditional business school in Spain, very connected to entrepreneurship more on the family side, so large industries, uh, let's say, created yeah. or built by uh, families, uh, send their kids to that school, so they have a big tradition in entrepreneurship. So I was connected to that environment, and that just simply gave me even more uh, interest on launching my own business. By that right. time, Europe was not going through a great time. It was quite depressing. The, the reality is that Europe has an, an amazing a, a lifestyle, uh, you have very good education for uh, very little money, very good health. It's actually a great place to, to live, but there's very little upside on taking a big risk and very little That's downside cool. on actually just picking a normal path of working for a law firm or consulting or a large corporate like Banco Santander. You know? mm -hmm. So when I was in the middle of the MBA, my friends uh, decided to organize a trip to Brazil. It was Revillon, uh, which is basically New Year's Eve in Brazil. It's a great vibe. Never been in New Year's Eve in 30 degrees at night in the beach. Uh, great food, great drinks, uh, great vibe. A lot of young people. And by that time, it was that, that cover of the magazine, the time where uh, the Corcovado no? uh, uh -huh. it was, uh, uh, it was rocketing. No, uh -huh. So the vibe in Brazil was the opposite to the US and Europe. 
So you just right. landed in Rio Janeiro and you could feel that something was going on. You could see just things happening on the street. And I say, I want to come back. So I finished the MBA. I did my pitch, my thesis on the mm -hmm. MBA, actually, of not following what you should follow uh, or the, what they teach you in the MBA. That is basically, if you do a move, don't uh -huh. change industry. Just change one factor. And you have basically three. Right. Industry, uh, <laughs> role, no? and geography. No? And, geography. and I just changed the three. No? Decided to move to Brazil with okay. nothing, uh, one hand in front of the other, as we say in Spanish. And I met uh -huh. uh, Benjamin Gleason, which eventually is also my uh -huh. partner now here at Camino. He was launching Groupon in Brazil uh, uh -huh. with the, the guys from Rocket Internet. It was three guys. So it's Benjamin right. Gleason with Florian Otto, who eventually launched Cedar in New York and Felix Shefflin. Uh So I met Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin was in charge of launching a new business unit in Brazil, uh, which was Groupon Goods. Something uh -huh. for those that live in Brazil, something quite challenging. Uh, logistics, selling goods in Brazil, it's, it's quite a challenge. It's a huge country, 200 people, 200 million people, and the size much bigger than Europe. No? And you want to sell yeah. goods with very little logistic infrastructure. It was 2011. And uh, by discount, the, the goods were discounted. So we launched that. Uh, Benjamin obviously uh, hired me. That's why we're here. And uh, Benjamin just made me two or three questions, basically. Do you speak Portuguese? My answer was no. Uh, have you ever had experience like launching a sales team, sales ops team in a digital environment? I said no. no. Okay. Uh, are, you willing, are you willing to, to, to take that challenge? I said yes. yes. Uh, okay. So he paid me very little salary. He didn't even pay. If you added up my debt on the MBA for the MBA and what I had to pay for rent, which, making a parenthesis, that rent was paying the rent to Benjamin, who rented me a room <laughs> in his apartment. So he gave, he made a great deal. I still, I still think he hired me so he could quickly find somebody to get his apartment rented. No, um, so uh, so it, it was quite a fun ride. In two years, that business unit went from zero to being the largest uh, revenue generator for Groupon Brazil. Also became. A, a large source of problems for the financial team. That was also the reason why I got very connected professionally to Benjamin, because Benjamin was also, apart from being the general manager of Groupon Brazil, was also the CFO. And mm -hmm. then Gutu, who is the third co-founder at Camino, then became the CFO when Benjamin left uh, to found Tiaboso. So I started working very closely with Gutu, who was mm -hmm. the CFO, and then uh, now is the CPO. Uh, I'm founder here at, at Camino. So that was my Amazing the story. reason why I moved to Brazil, making it as short as possible. <laughs> exactly. I know your, your story. It's it's difficult to tell in a uh, I'm in old. Small... I'm also old. No? <laughs> years, so it cannot be that short. <laughs> exactly. And 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 the, and the and the good part is that you have amazing stories. You don't have kind of the, that uh, boring career that you don't have nothing to add, uh, or you can summarize it in in almost uh, a sentence. Uh, every well, single. The text scene, in text scene, if, you, <laughs> if you put text scene in Brazil, 2011, 2012. It's very hard that you find somebody that is going to tell you boring stories. Um, I think LATAM in general, in that time was the moment, the tipping, the tipping point. No? Uh, right. Actually, I don't know how things were in, in Europe by that time. In 2011, it was when my partner in, in Europe launched La Nevera Roja, which was like the sort yeah. of iFood 
the comparable five put in, in Spain. So there were, uh, when I talked to him, said there was no VC money. It was impossible to hire talented people. So the challenges were very similar. The only thing or the two things that were very, very different uh, between Brazil and Spain is that in Spain, the, the market, even though it's a 300 million people market because it's Europe, yeah. the idea is that Spain is just 40 million. It's Spanish. You need to know the reality of Spain. Yeah. And if you launch in Spain, it doesn't mean that you can just multiply that and scale that to Germany, for example. No? Right. Uh, so uh, that was maybe the, the most important thing that pushed me to actually be an entrepreneur in Brazil. It's, it's actually a big market. Absolutely. And there is something that we see happening uh, a lot. And I would say that uh, in terms of Iberia, Spain is much stronger than, than Portugal in that sense of scaling up via uh, Latin America. I also think there is a reason because uh, the 40 million domestic markets uh, of Spain helps to win a little bit more of financial muscle when they go to other markets in Portugal with, with the 10 million people going directly into Brazil with a, a market of, as I said, 210 or 220 million uh, people. Uh, it, it is it is a tough uh, internationalization, yeah. right? It, it is one, one thing when I speak mostly with German entrepreneurs that are very connected also yeah. to Camino. Uh, we have them as angel investors, as friends, because it was okay. one of the first generations of mm -hmm. tech entrepreneurs here in Brazil. Uh, when I talked to them about the difference between Europe and LATAM, most of them came back yeah. uh, to Europe to, to launch their own startups. And uh, they say, okay, it's a smaller market, but reality is that GDP per capita is four or five times higher. So you compensate that. But, yeah. but at the end, I think what, what really attracts the attention of VCs uh, is that you have one LATAM, yeah. that is the Spanish speaking LATAM, where right. Spain actually has a big edge because of language, tradition. Exactly. Uh, if you're a Spaniard, you go to Mexico, you feel at home. You go to Colombia, you feel at home. You go to Argentina, they love you. Um, but Very Brazil is a different yeah. animal. So it's yeah. two thirds of the business, different language. Brazilians are way more similar to US in terms of how they uh, envision business and how mm -hmm. they structure business. Mexico, Colombia, Argentina are more connected to the tradition of Europe. And, and I'm a lawyer, so I see that on the way they, they, they write regulation. They are, let's say, I wouldn't say more bureaucratic because the U.S. is not, uh, right. it's bureaucratic at the end. But the way they do business, no? Uh, Brazilians are open to business. Mexicans, uh, it's my feeling, I haven't launched and started in Mexico. But right. my reality is that more like Spaniards, they try to see always the angle where you are actually going to make something not so cool. And they try to put, let's say, a caution on it no? yeah. uh, uh, to prevent them from anything from screwing. So that is slows business down, makes also businesses smaller. Uh, and you can see that on the, on the VCs in Europe, even though I think that's changing now because the US VCs are starting to open, uh, start to exactly. open uh, offices in, in, in Europe, starting from London, right? Yeah, and we also see some European investors, especially Spanish investors, wanting to be more involved in Latin deals, right? So, well as I've seen, kind of the corporate investors like Telefonica having a, a footprint there, but we are seeing more, uh, being more and more interested also to be involved in in what is happening in in Latin. Uh, yeah, that I, I saw I saw Seaya, which is a 
traditional VC in Spain connected to BBVA being strong in Mexico. Uh, I haven't seen them do anything in Brazil, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, recently, there was the news of a fund called K Fund, which is very connected to WIDA because one of the partners at K Fund is Miguel Arias, who was, let's say, the guy of innovation at Telefonica. They just raised a 250 million euro fund, which I think 25% of it needs to be deployed in Latin America. No? So yeah. I, I think they see that there are models in Latin America that they want to bring to Europe and vice versa. No? And they want right. to take that edge. Uh, I think it's a great, great, uh, great news uh, for Latin America. But you, you are kind of an outlier because, as you said, typically uh, Spaniards would feel much more comfortable going to Mexico or to Colombia or to Argentina. Absolutely. And you are doubling down on, on the 70% of the markets, which is Brazil mm -hmm. again. The good news is that you can really build a very big business just out of Brazil, and that's one of the main uh, advantages uh, of, of Brazil. But what is curious also, and we see this in every region, right? So the I would say maybe the exception is the Europeans try to jump into LATAM or to, to the US um, to build a, a bigger player, but usually the ones who are in Southeast Asia want to be a regional player in Southeast Asia. The LATAM players also want to be the, the leaders in, in the LATAM region. Um, and and it's, it's good to see uh, someone coming also with a global uh, mindset. Do you, do you feel that it's possible to build big businesses out of, uh, of LATAM? What yes. I say, global, global business, not global. business. Global, yes. Yeah, no, no, global business, yes. I think it's very, very hard, uh, extremely hard. But um, so, for example, coming back to my experience at OnTruck, uh, mm -hmm. OnTruck was launched in, in Madrid, Spain, the market, obviously with the idea of expanding across Europe because the problem of logistics is everywhere in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. And Europe is not an exception. Uh, but we expanded, we made certain mistakes that we ended up fixing, but cost us a lot of money and time, which is if you want to be global, uh, first you need to make sure that at the local level, of, let's say your first step, you have actually built a product that you understand very well that it's a 10x difference compared to any other product in the market. You know the unit economics. Uh, so you feel quite, uh, quite sure that you have actually built a business that can scale. It's easy to say, but very difficult to actually diagnose. No? And once you feel that way, it's okay, I need to do an expansion. The expansion is not, uh, let's say, when a large corporate decides to open a new market. It's reality for a startup expanding. It's a big, huge decision that I can actually kill the company. No? So when uh, friends of mine tell me what went wrong with on track at the end, is Maybe we decided to expand to London or to expand to France too early, okay? Mm -hmm. It absorbed a lot of resources and we didn't do it the right way. If you want to be global, you need to actually believe on that. When we did it, we didn't have, we, we didn't do that check and mm -hmm. uh, we didn't uh, actually make the big bet. If you want to open in London, you need to realize that UK is a large, huge market with many complexities. You need to understand the, the particularities of, of London. When you come to Brazil, you cannot just actually uh, copy paste what you're doing in Mexico, in the US, hire somebody and deploy that team in Brazil and say, hey guys, you work it out. No? You actually need to be a founder. One example of a company that did it well 
uh, it's Gimpas, for example, Tesa. Yeah. Well, it's one of the first cases of Brazilian companies actually. I was thinking uh, uh, about that company when I asked the question. <laughs> uh, being global, how yeah. Tesar or Joao, no, uh, their founders uh, uh, decided, okay, we actually want to expand. We need to move to Europe. So Tesar moved to Europe. Their kids, I think, few, one or two, I don't know how many, are Spaniard because they were uh, born in in Spain. Uh, mm -hmm. Then he moved to US. You want to launch in the US? You cannot just hire right. a general manager, no. And, and open exactly. uh, the U.S. So I think it's a it's a huge bet, personal and professional yes. bet, if you want to become global. Reality is, why LATAM has maybe more advantages on being global. I think it's so difficult to be an entrepreneur in Latin America that if you actually crack it in Latin America, you're just you're just a genius. You're a hero. No? <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, I think you can, and you actually know the playbook. Uh, what actually make you make you successful and you also you have resilience no to actually succeed in latam is not a two three four years journey right. 10 12 no uh, think about creditas think about gympas they have been here yeah. for many 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 years and they're still uh latam is still their core business no uh so i think you just need to 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 to, to think it as a marathon the yeah. 50 60 years from now we will see companies like those actually being global you can expect those companies to actually be global in five years. Maybe there can be a case, but uh, if we actually push too hard, we're just going to kill those companies. But they can, that doesn't mean that they cannot be global. And it's curious to see that some of the founders that you have mentioned are Spanish-speaking uh, founders. <laughs> uh, that one in, in Brazil, like Sergio from Creditas, and, uh, and what was the, the, the other one? That, ah, uh, David Velas from, from uh, Colombia. New Bank, Colombia, exactly. New Bank has been a tipping point also for, in actually, exactly. uh, from internal and external point of view. Everybody looks at LATAM now because of New Bank, no? Uh, and internally, people, no? Uh, uh, young generations are, let's say, actually looking at uh, the tech career, the startup career as a great possibility of financial wealth because there, there was a New Bank, no? Uh, exactly. So those are the companies that actually make a difference. Uh, I always also use in our use it in our pitch. It's like if you look at the U.S. in the '90s, uh, the market cap uh, of the biggest companies, no, in, in the U.S. were basically dominated by non-tech companies. Mm -hmm. uh, Twenty years later, uh, seventy, I think, seventy percent or seven out of the ten largest companies in the U.S. are tech companies. And I think if you include yeah. one traditional tech company in the U.S., it actually makes out of the eight. In LATAM, wow. we're exactly in the same moment. We just have Mercado Libre, maybe Nubank in a, in, right. a, in a few short period of time. But I strongly believe that it's not going to take 20 years. LATAM is going to be shorter. No? Exactly. Uh, but That's yes, you, yeah. you, you, you have foreigners, uh, but you also have a great talent here in, in Brazil and in LATAM. You see many Brazilians that would normally study in the U.S. stay there and make a career in the U.S. Yeah. Now they are coming back. So... I think it's, it's basically, yeah, you have some outliers that are foreigners, but I would say 95% of the successful entrepreneurs are local entrepreneurs. Exactly. And, and the good thing is what, what, we, what we see also in, in the US and starting to happen also in, in Europe, which is the second and fourth generation of, of founders coming to start their own companies, or even if they don't want to start their own companies, they are being executives who already know how to, how to scale the companies at least from one stage to another and becoming also more specialized i just go from 
1 to 5 or 1 to 10 from series A to series uh, C, or I only want to go from 0 to 1 because I ate then the bureaucracy after the 1 or 5 million or 10 million error. Uh, I, I, I think you, you touched... The, you touched there a very important point. I think people do not realize, or do not the people that come outside of LATAM do not know. No, in LATAM has always been very hard to launch a company. It doesn't matter if it's a tech company or a venture back company. You know, it's actually very difficult to access funding. Mm -hmm. Okay, no matter the source. Okay, so but reality is that LATAM has built great companies. It has great entrepreneurs. LATAM and Brazil is not a, an exception. It's actually it's, it's a country that has an amazing inventory of great companies. And if you look at those companies, we can call them non-venture-backed companies. They mm -hmm. have been able to grow really fast. They're really profitable. They are companies mm -hmm. that have a big tech component and have never been venture-backed. Why? Because VCs were not looking at Platinum. <laughs> Banks were not looking at those sort of companies. If you look at uh, the, the, the financial sector in Latam, is dominated by four Brazilian banks. It's a great profit pool. So, and why? Because they actually are constantly giving the money to the same companies and they have conquered the, let's say the, 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 the individual, the, 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 how you say, persona física, persona física in Portuguese. So they're focused on individuals and large corporates, no? And it's right. a great profit pool, no? So there is this inventory of companies that actually move the needle that are the biggest generator of new GDP, that nobody's mm -hmm. looking at them. It's where Camino is focused. Uh, but I think it's the strength of LATAM. It has a lot of entrepreneurs that have been able to grow with no funding, bootstrapping. And, and that's what makes actually very strong LATAM in the upcoming years. Yeah, and this is a great introduction uh, to maybe we, we could stay here for hours just talking about your career and your thoughts uh, and your different ventures, but it's, it's really impossible to cover it all uh, in just one episode, which is a great excuse to have you back uh, to have another uh, episodes. Uh, but let, let's introduce your, your vision, why you came back to Brazil, why Camino, what you are building with, with Camino. So help us to connect the, the, the dots uh, to understand mm -hmm. uh, how you coming back to Brazil and Camino and, and the why uh, comes mm -hmm. together. Well, I, I think you have already had like 240, 250 episodes, right? In your yeah. podcast, right, Mike? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and you, yeah. have, you have interviewed very good uh, uh, entrepreneurs from Latin America, amazing entrepreneurs from Latin America, VCs. You have had a great taste of what's going on here in Latin America, no? When we started as entrepreneurs in 2011, it was a great place to start a company, but, but there were many obstacles, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, so that was from 2011, 2014, my first entrepreneurial journey, when yeah. Benjamin started Guia Bolso, when Sergio started Creditas, when David started Nubank, but there was no capital. So in fact, Nubank had to raise debt with Goldman Sachs in very difficult terms. He was very adventurous, no? Now, right. when I came back in 2020, what I see is a large region that has a big influence on the global uh, uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem, which is LATAM. It's, a, it's an important piece of the market. Um, great uh, source of, let's say, commodities. It has a strong economy, but in terms of tech, it has not really uh, given everything it can. And mm. it's in, in a tipping moment of actually transforming it. Uh, if we, when you come to LATAM, you see that there is a lot of people frustrated with the lack of social mobility. 
with the large opportunities that Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, mm -hmm. etc., always have, but they never realize. They never actually mm -hmm. materialize it. No. Uh, when I came back in 2020, I saw Brazil as a melting pot. Mexicans coming to Brazil, Brazilians moving to to Mexico to launch right. startups or to US, and there was big venture capital industry which did not exist when I launched Pidu, for example. No, when we launched Pidu, um, so I saw great. This is a great moment. So I started as a, a private equity investor, started buying companies uh, uh, out of Skate uh, Arpon, which is a great thesis about uh, buying. Uh, uh, let's say tech companies that are non-venture-backed companies and I see mm -hmm. so you have startups that are struggling to raise funds to actually nice. get good financial products etc so they're actually struggling to thrive and you see also non-venture-backed companies with the same issues and mm -hmm. all these companies that we call them high growth businesses other companies called the new economy nice. companies those companies are actually the drivers of the new GDP they're actually right. the companies that in the US in the 90s and beginning of of the 21st century were the ones that drove the transformation of the US economy. Mm -hmm. Those companies need to be taken care of. Somebody needs to provide the infrastructure they need. And that's what uh, Camino is actually doing. No? And other entrepreneurs are actually trying to fix or help those type of companies from different angles. In our mm -hmm. case, we're just trying to provide them what we didn't have, which is a financial infrastructure. Uh, in our case, just uh, for now, a bank account, a corporate card, but in the future, mm -hmm. it's actually a complete software with banking embedded where they can actually solve everything they need from a financial standpoint of view. Right. And it's interesting because you, you are not only focused on VC backed companies, you said you are focused on those high growth companies or scale ups. So typically, the definition uh, in Europe, it's kind of companies that are growing over 20% in the last year, year over year, in the last. Uh, Three years and have uh, more than 10 employees or or something uh like that right so so they're they're still again high growth businesses they might not fit into the vc packet um, thesis because they are not at 50 or doubling or tripling uh revenues every year but still they are the the, the ones who create the um, the most the wealth. The, the wealth exactly and even the jobs right correct um uh so uh, when we started studying as any entrepreneur, no, they need to do their research. I was mm -hmm. not a, actually, not only our experience as entrepreneurs and the conversation we had with more than 100 founders, we actually did some research and we realized that the transformation of regions like the US or Europe were highly dependable on these type of companies. They represented very little in the number of companies exactly. across the region. They represented the very little in GDP, but they were growing really fast and taking a big portion of the new GDP of the new employment. In Europe and the US, you actually have the infrastructure to help those companies uh, survive and thrive. In mm -hmm. LATAM or in India, for example, you don't have that. So there are companies like RazorPay in India or Camino in LATAM that actually want to take that risk and support those companies. So let's say from 10 or 15 years from now, we will say that we could and we did transform LATAM because we generated more new banks, we generated more Mercado Libres, but we also had those other companies that do not receive dollars, that they just are bootstrapped. And there maybe, let's say, if you say that in Brazil you have, in LATAM you have 30 million companies, out of those, let's say 1,000, exaggerated, 1,000 are the big, big companies, enterprises, 
then you have millions, millions of micro companies exactly. uh, that are not our focus. And then you have yeah. 3 million that are actually high growth businesses. And now those, those 3 million, maybe 10,000 are startups, but the rest are right. brick and mortal companies that they have a large number of employees. They use digital means to acquire clients. They use digital means to run their operations and they do not want to get at VC funds because they are actually profitable, no? Or they can make good money without the needs of dollars or reais from uh, from funds, no? Right. And in terms of the, the future, what would be the the big vision for for your business to to help those companies to grow uh, by uh, delivering or or serving them high quality banking services or making them uh, have access to 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 the banking needs that they don't have uh, today. Sorry, so, I'm, uh, I'm uh, pitching by you. <laughs> Attract no, also, exactly. to, also no. for the audience so, that is listening. No, so to be very very pragmatical. No, if Mike, yeah. was, Mike was running a company in Brazil, no, and it's not that yeah. let's say a Bibo, one of those that actually get all the attention from the large banks exactly. and large corporates, uh, Mike would have a, a big financial team, and mm -hmm. that big financial team is going to focus or would be focusing 90 or 100 percent of their time fixing all the inefficiencies due to the fact that there are many banks that actually do not work uh, well and do not provide adequate products for uh, Mike's uh, company. And then there are big fragmentation of ERPs on the other side. So uh, Mike's financial team is dedicating a lot of time just to do financial operations, trying to get all the information being coherent and prepared for Mike to make uh, good calls, okay? So all that mm -hmm. fragmentation, both on the banking and accounting, uh, that is disconnected, Camino actually wants to generate an ecosystem, a hub, where all the payment side and all, let's say, financial piece from mm -hmm. all, the, all the angles, okay, from planning to pure mm -hmm. accounting, it's all integrated in one place where I can actually manage the data in a more efficient and intelligent way. So the finance team is actually focused on generating value, efficiency, smarter growth uh, uh, for the company. Is it with, let's say, a creative list of the best financial products that a co that company can can uh, uh, contract or sign, mm -hmm. or actually having data, real-time data about how the business is, is running and making better financial decisions based on that data, no? And not dedicating resources right. to do conciliation, to do payments, okay, etc., because that, let's say, are more automatized or digitalized, no? and all taken right. care of by a software built by Camino. So that's a platform that's the that financial team of high growth businesses can can use in order to reduce the manual tasks and, and be more able to add value uh, to the business or or be focused on on decisions that uh, add more value to the business in a certain way. Yeah, we like to call it a CFO as a software with banking embedded. Love it. Now, now, okay. I, now I fully understood the okay. the concept, and I hope the the audience uh, as well. Great one. Uh, and and in in what stage of growth are you in at at the moment? What um, what are the next steps, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera? Mm -hmm. So we raised around in December, yeah. right before the lights were turned on. No? Uh, <laughs> Great timing. You, exactly. <laughs> the the party was still going on, but. Uh, um, we could not foresee that the party was going to end up so, let's say, right away, so fast, <laughs> without any 
any previous warning. Um, but for us, it was great. Uh, uh, and um, we actually have enough funds for the upcoming years to focus on actually building a great product. Uh, we have always been long-time entrepreneurs. We were not, let's say, uh, uh, attracted by simple and fast growth. We actually want to build something that is, is everlasting, that is actually solving a great uh, problem. And we're just focusing now on building a very good product for a few number of clients that actually stick to it. And they see, okay, Camino has actually been able to build something that is uh, extracting value from my company, detracting inefficiencies from my financial team, and actually helping me operate, scale, no? and optimize my operations. Because at the end, everything in the company can be seen through the eyes of the financial team. No? Uh, and that's what we're focusing on. No, that basically, we just build the banking stack, and we are just building all mm -hmm. the software stack. So those things uh, um, converge and actually provide a solution. We'd like to see this, what's the job to be done? You know? A startup right. or a non-venture-backed company actually needs to get all their financial management done. They need to do the mm -hmm. payments. Is it non-payroll? Is it payroll? They actually need to conciliate information. They actually need to do a good uh, capital uh, allocation. We actually want to help them make the best financial decisions. And that's the, the job to be done that we're doing now. In the upcoming months, uh, those clients will actually help us uh, um, build that build that product. And we just basically, we will scale it, focus now on Brazil. And we will see in the upcoming years uh, as we expand no? across Latin, with, but with all those caveats no? and all that uh, experience that we learned mm -hmm. uh, from our previous startup experiences. Right. And is there any specific ICP that you are, or niche that you are more focused within those high growth businesses or, or, or scale-ups? Yeah. Uh, is there any yeah. kind of ideal customer at this stage or given the, also the maturity of the product uh, at this yeah. stage? So we started with a product that uh, uh, helped uh, early stage startups access the funds they raised in dollars. So we helped with the Cayman, okay. Delaware, US banking. So our ICP there is early stage. It's a great ICP because they are basically nobody takes care of them. We provide them with a no cost bank account, corporate card, FX services. So we start from the beginning with those companies and we actually acquire all the cash in and help them with the cash out. No? So that was the first ICP, but rapidly our product became attractive to scale-ups. So now scale-ups knock on our door and say, I like the way uh, you provide that service, thinking about generating less friction on the KYC process, providing me with different products so I don't have to start uh, working with one company to actually have the bank account with another one with a corporate card and all the burden on my side to actually manage all that documentation and information and all the scattered. I can have Camino to manage all of that. So scale-ups are knocking our door. And also non-VC-backed companies are coming inbound because our corporate card has no limit on the credit side and the deposit that you put on the bank account uh, yields 100% CDI, which is the Brazilian interest rate. So mm -hmm. uh, companies that are non-VC-backed, companies are also forgotten by the financial status quo no, uh, establishment. Right. And they are actually seeing our bank account say, it's easy to open two, three days. They give me a good yield. And the corporate card works perfectly for, let's say, payment of SaaS or my, uh, digital marketing. They say, okay, uh, uh, so let's say we have more waiting list of clients actually wanting to use our bank account that our capacity actually to deliver 
let's say the great experience no? <laughs> exactly we just want to focus on the experience not so much on, on actually showing a great chart of a hockey stick of number of, of clients right exactly always focusing on the nps uh, at this stage and uh, ensuring that referral loop uh, happens right instead of uh, growing too much too fast uh, or too early yeah. and, and we are not you have you have amazon so again, you those, have those are amazing problems <laughs> the, the problem is to not to not have uh, clients on the waiting list <laughs> <laughs> no, and the benchmarks are very clear. I, I think one, for example, Gutu, one of my co-founders, comes from Amazon, no, and he brings that customer obsession, like tattooed, no, like we just need to create, create, uh, create a great product on my side on on track, no. Uh, we saw, we learned the hard way that actually you need to constantly be focusing on, on the client. It needs to be like your main area of focus. Benjamin, no, built via Bolsa. There was love by 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 the clients and actually was the main source of client acquisition no i think if you actually build a great product great experience no bank no basically exactly. double down if you hear david talking it's like my cac i don't i didn't care about the cac really low i was just caring about the cost to serve the experience needs to be really good no and the fundamentals the product needs to be really really good no so that's what what we're focusing now uh, and this this is a good point. If you if you would have to to share some advice, given your different journeys, uh, as we as we talk about as a co-founder in different roles uh, and now leading the the venture as a as a CEO, um, what would be your main tips for for other founders or something that, or some lessons that you learn uh, along the way? I will not go kind of through each each topic because we we don't have uh, enough time to really go for product, go to market, team, culture, leadership, fundraising. So if you would need to highlight some some of those lessons learned, uh, what would you say? So in my previous experience, we're for example very worried about competition. Uh, I think you just need to trust on your vision yourself and uh, be a long term player. What well, that's one. Also, uh, first time uh, journey entrepreneurs are very, let's say, distracted by fundraising. Instead, you actually need to be a good fundraiser. It's true, but just being a good fundraiser is not going to uh, make you a great entrepreneur. Uh, you actually need to be focusing on your business, your client, uh, and at the very early stages, it's critical that the founders are very close to the client and the business. Okay. Mm -hmm. Also, another lesson, and we, we, as you say, we can be here for ages, no. But I think right. also, if you stress your focus too much on product and you forget about the go-to-market, right, you can great, build a great product and actually do exactly. not sell it. No, And there are some companies that do not have maybe the best products, uh, but have a great go-to-market strategy and they, they win. No, So don't forget about thinking of your uh, go-to-market. And lastly, maybe the most importantly is culture and people. Uh, some of the, 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 the learnings that I would give to founders be very, very objective on this matter. Uh, nobody has been blamed for telling the truth and you need very on, to be very honest with yourself and with your team. Some people that you hire now might not be the ones that you need on, let's say, other stages of the company. And if you're very transparent, people are going to understand it and you're going to actually do your job as a CEO or as a CPO or as a CTO. You actually need to make sure that you have the right people at the right role. And that's your main role. If you don't do that, company is going to, to suck. One of my biggest learnings was one, mm -hmm. one person hired, 
high guy, high performer in my team that quitted my company because he told, told me I was a lousy manager. I said, why? Like, you have people here that are underperforming and you are not doing your job of substituting that people and getting better people for that role. So I do not trust, I do not have confidence on you and your founders of actually making this company worth what it should be worth if, for, for me uh, uh, to stay here. No? So my stock options actually multiply value in the upcoming years because I don't have confidence on your capacity to do so. So it was a huge learning many wow. years ago, uh, but I still have it like very, very, uh, very present no? when I manage my team. Great, great one. So you even made me uh, think, uh, and it happens when I'm recording the podcast that I, then I get very involved in what you are saying and kind of writing down uh, uh, what you are saying. Great ones, and and also your your role now as as the CEO of uh, of Camino. Um, what are some of your reflections? How how do you get better? How do you ensure that you grow faster than uh, than the company? So. When I launched my first company in 2005, six, no, uh, basically I was say the CEO and I thought I knew everything, no, and I ha I wanted to to have everything under control and I sometimes feel challenged by the people around me, no, and didn't manage that very well. Now in a very different position, uh, the theoretically way more experienced, no, uh, and I'm surrounded by great people. It's so awesome. my founders are Kutu. <laughs> Pereña, who was the engineering director of Mercado Pago, amazing guy, no? best tech guy in Latin. And then we have Benjamin with a great experience in fintech. And you say, it's it's quite it's quite a challenge, no? You could you can feel really challenged by having those people around you, but that pushes you a lot uh, in terms of thinking how can I manage a team of let's say of Cristiano Ronaldo's, you know, Messi's, exactly. etc. Et but reality is, it, it's uh, you just need to make sure that everybody's collaborating, that everybody's aligned, that you're actually building the right culture, that you're actually pushing the people to make the, the calls uh, as fast as possible, that everybody's aligned uh, uh, on the goals, okay? And everybody's motivated, no? Also, Benjamin and I are focusing on the, uh, let's, say on, let's say, on the more external piece, fundraising, uh, investor relationships, corporate debt, no? And mm -hmm. uh, also, I put my hat on the say the business side because okay you are a CEO but you are also CEO of a thirty people company okay and you actually need to get the company to run and sell and learn uh, and I would say that's my biggest responsibility now no focusing on the growth of the company. Love it. So that's a great point and it's also interesting to to not forget um, how important it is to understand the team that we have. Uh, in front of us, sometimes we have we need to apply different leadership styles for different uh, maturity of talent, let's say, and maturity of teams, right? So sometimes we get, we need to give maybe more direction, more 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 guidance, and to more senior people we need to be careful because they are the ones who will teach us and will help us to get into into the next layer. And it's it's really important, especially when we transition, and it depends, of course. You have a a, a luxury, uh, pro or not a problem. You have you have a a great advantage because you you start already with a very strong founding team uh, who has been in different ventures and who know each other. You know also you, the strengths and the weaknesses of each other. You trust each other, which is a, a luxury to have that kind of founding team. But for other founders that maybe 
are starting with with people that they don't know for a very long time or that are not so experienced or, or so strong maybe you need to provide a little bit more direction but as you you get into a scaling up mode and you need to bring up or bring on guys that have been in multiple companies scaling up uh, of course the, the the leadership style that we need to apply is is a little bit different uh, from the one that that we applied in 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 other stages of growth of the and, and there is no perfect situation because when you have people that are so experienced also you can you can think of are they going to be hungry really really motivated like a hundred percent and reality is that uh, yes, we are all very, very hungry, no? Uh, and we are also very experienced. So I say, oh, do you work 24 hours a day? We don't, we can't, because we, we are older, you know, and we have also other responsibilities. But I, I can look at Gutu and Benjamin and Pereña, uh, Rodrigo Pereña, the, the CTO, and say, these guys, the 8, 10, 12 hours that they work every day, worth 20 of any other guy, no? And uh, exactly. they actually are really focused, they go straight to you, are very transparent. Oh, I don't think that's the right path, better than that, wrong path. Um, so uh, I think that's what uh, investors have seen on, on our team. And also the fact that we actually want to sell uh, a huge product. So to young people, no? I think one yeah. of the lessons for, for Camino is it's never too late. No? Uh, and it's also uh, a great moment in Latin. On the specific, on the fintech side, I think there's a great, great opportunity because in latin america for any fintech you will hear that uh latin america is actually in year zero in terms of solving uh, the great problems that they have uh, you have the high growth businesses which are actually let's say the game changers for the upcoming years if whoever is focusing on that is actually going to make a difference on the transformation of the region and actually providing uh founders and cfos with a solution, as I told you, know, uh, like a big uh, headline, no? that CFO as a software with banking embedded, it's, it's basically we see trillions of banks. No? Banking is going to become a commodity. What company needs? No? The company needs actually a complete coherent solution for all the financial needs. No? Uh, I think that's where, where the, the future is going to be in the, in the upcoming years. But also for young people, I think uh, health tech also in Latin America it's yeah. it's becoming a huge topic because if you see personally, you know, I come from Europe. I, I was paying a small amount for a health insurance, grading, receiving great service at a public hospital. You no, know? and uh, when I was hiring talent, I was not worrying about what my health insurance, if right. kids are going to pay or not. If you know, and here it's actually an important piece of the decision because it's really expensive. It's something that changes a lot the lifestyle of a person of actually having a healthy insurance or not, and having it, having a good one or not. No, so um, education, the same thing. And I think it's important for people from the U.S. and Europe to listen to that. Like Latin, there are things that you think that should be solved that are actually not even starting to be solved. No, and there are large startups uh, uh, facing uh, those issues now. Great, great insights. Uh, and that's why it's very dangerous to apply benchmarks from the US and Europe directly into LATAM without understanding uh, what is happening on the field uh, and mm -hmm. what are the fundamental problems that need to be solved uh, first before going into those uh, sophisticated uh, problems that other markets are, are, are facing now. 
Great. So uh, again, as you said, we would stay here for for hours, and it's really a pity that we that we don't have uh, two hour and three hour uh, podcasts. Uh, let's go into the into the last segment uh, of the show uh, where I ask you a, a quick question and you give me a, a brief answer. Deal. Uh, Deal done. So the first. <laughs> <laughs> now I ask to the guests because in that sense I, I can assure that we are able to compress uh, the, the okay last exactly. <laughs> you have to be short <laughs> exactly <laughs> I'm starting here this tradition Gonzalo with you so. <laughs> okay oh maybe that was very suitable. <laughs> I'm joking I'm joking so if you'd have the, the opportunity to um, to have a coffee with yourself at, at the beginning of, of your career, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger Gonzalo? Listen more, talk less. Uh, so that's connected to what you said. And do not take decisions in the heat of the moment. Love it. What are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Uh, my adaptability, my capacity to connect with different uh people diverse contexts new circumstances i'm very very adaptable i, I can see it and worst advice ever received <laughs> benjamin <laughs> is going to love this uh cheer for atletico madrid <laughs> you, you are bullet in the 90s you will be strongly bullet <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 like uh, Atletico? Yeah, yeah. Infeliz mention that they say <laughs> they, in Portuguese. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> and but, uh, unfortunately, I, I'm from Porto, and I'm not having a lot of luck uh, in the matches between Porto and uh, Atletico. So even the last one, uh, uh, Atletico, we won, beat you guys uh, in the last. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Simeone is, is, is really enjoying. <laughs> yeah, it has, has you very well uh, fitted, no? They know how to play the Portuguese. Uh, to play, exactly. And finally, the resources. Your favorite book? Uh, like the business, I think it's a hard thing about hard things. I like the wartime CEO thing. And in Spanish, I like 10 años de soledad. I didn't like a lot of literature. 100 years of uh, solitude. solitude. Yeah. Okay, that, that would be the great one. Yeah. Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah, one Garcia of the, the best uh, Spanish authors, right? Yeah. Uh, favorite movie or series? The Godfather. And I, I think the series is quite famous now. I think The Crown, uh, from the historic point of view, I think it's a great, great show. Great choices. And finally, your favorite uh, podcast, excluding this one. <laughs> ah! <laughs> one. That was a cheesy one. No, I, I really like your podcast, uh, but I also we, you, we have one investor, which is Miguel Armaza from Gigamest. has a very cool podcast that is called Fintech Leaders. Awesome. Let's let's check that one. I think it's it's the first time that we are. That's why we do we do this these resources. We we learn a lot from from the resources that our guests bring into the table. Gonzalo, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Congrats for your amazing uh, career and all the best to Camino. And again, you are always welcome to the show. And there is so much more to cover that I would love to have you back uh, some weeks later. Um, all the best. Thank you very much, Mike, for the invitation. 
And to the community, we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier uh, starting up and scaling up your company. See you soon and keep scaling. Thank you.